pretty excited about our kids, and they did a great job. They've been working very hard. They're dispersed throughout, and one of our kids have a birthday today, and that's Carson Kale. Is Carson in here someplace? Somewhere, Carson? There he is. Carson's right back there. Let's sing happy birthday to Carson. He's right between Grandma and Grandpa. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Carson. Happy birthday to you. Well, this is the beginning of Advent, and so we're we're doing a sermon series on what is Christmas? What's Christmas all about? You know that that phrase that people say, well, it's all about, and so what's it all about? And if an alien came to our planet and observed our behavior at this time of year, watched our television program, tracked the pattern of what people were doing, if they uh, saw all this, the, the attention, all the activity, all, all of the, the thoughts, then they would conclude without question that Christmas is about presents. Everybody's shopping. I mean, it's hot online. The, 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 everybody's advertising. It's all, it all seems to be about presents. And this, this scene is what everybody has in their mind at this time of year, or at least the children do. And it comes from an excerpt from Home Alone 2, Lost in New York City. Watch this scene as they play it. That's what we envision. It's all about the presence, it seems. And so, you know, it's fair to talk about this because gift-giving and presence have been around even before Christ was born. Every, in every generation, it seems from the earliest of times that around this time that the seasons begin to change, that we call solstice, there was a gift-giving tradition and gifts were given and it was a festive time because finally... You know, the idea was that the darkest day is beginning to give way to a brighter day. And the chain starts. And so gift-giving was just a part of the world, and it, it, uh, it's always been this way. As Christianity, the message of Christ, spread around the world, throughout the world, holiday traditions were reinterpreted. In a sense, the message about Christ took the day. It captured that which was and reinterpreted it. After all, it was the wise men, who the magi, the three kings, who brought gifts to the newborn baby. And that giving of gifts was a new way of thinking about gifts, not gifts to each other, not the exchange, but this wholehearted sense of devotion to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus wasn't on earth as a baby and as a human being 
traveling of, um, on the geographical space of earth, then he, gave, he had given instructions, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to us. So St. Nicholas came along, and St. Nicholas was known for continuing that by giving gifts to the poor. And thus, gift-giving was reinterpreted as something that we do unto the Lord from a whole heart. That is a big change. But still today, you have those who might give gifts not from their heart, but out of compulsion. And they, you know, they just, they just have to do it. Oh, i got to go to this thing and I've got to have a gift. And that's where you start getting the fruitcake. This is where you, that's what happens. You know when you got a fruitcake, it was not from somebody's heart. But I have a fruitcake for you. And I already have one now, so if you're thinking about it, George already has a fruitcake right here. You know, everybody I talk to about fruitcakes and as a gift, not one person said, oh, yum, that's going to be great, more fruitcake, and I can store them up. Everybody I talk to turns up their nose and says, oh, the fruitcake, the gift you really don't want to get, and it's the gift someone really didn't want to give. It just was, well, it's holiday, I'll give them a fruitcake. We have a little bit of attention on the pastoral staff team. Pastor Fred likes fruitcakes. Those of you who like fruitcakes, sit near Pastor Fred. You know, that's... And on the other hand, Pastor Rollin has never had a bite of fruitcake in all of his known, known oh, self-aware earthly life. He cannot say he's had a piece of fruitcake. And it's, uh, you know, and I'm in the middle, I really don't want any fruitcakes. And, but the fruitcake is the gift that we give when we don't give it out of the spirit of generosity or, you know, it's just, oh, here's, you know, you had a fruitcake, hey, happy holidays, fruitcake for you. But we're going to do something. The fruitcake's going to be part of our Advent season. You'll see that each week, the fruitcake moment in the sermon. And on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve, Pastor Fred is going to cut a slice of fruitcake, give it to Pastor Rollin, who will have his first bite of fruitcake in our presence. So there we are. It's that fruitcake moment. It's the gift the person didn't really want to give, the gift you really don't want to receive, because it doesn't represent, you know, something good. Some of you are taking offense of this. Come back next week and take more offense. It's, it's just a fruitcake moment. That's all. What can I say? When someone gives out of compulsion, you get that fruitcake moment. You get, oh, this, I didn't want it. You know, what do I do? Well, here's the American answer. It's called re-gifting. You just take that to the next party and give it and hope that the other ones aren't at that party also, which can be a problem uh, when you have a similar group of friends. But gift-giving that comes from the heart, when we really do it as we're doing it unto the Lord, as, as the Magi did, as St. Nicholas did, doing it, giving it to someone because this is giving unto Jesus. When gifts come out of that, something very beautiful, but something counterintuitive occurs. Because what occurs is that there's more joy in, that, in giving than in receiving. 
there's more joy in being the giver and it's a strange thing that when you give a gift and it's counterintuitive we think oh i'm gonna get i'm gonna get but when you know there's thrill in getting but there's joy in giving and that seems so strange but jesus is the one who said it to us first he said you know there's more it is more blessed to give than to receive that's not always the way it is you know that's not always what's going on but it is more blessed to give than to receive when we give out our whole heart something occurs i actually get joy in giving now that is because we are created in the image of god and god also is the ultimate giver and we are most human when we live like we were created and we be, and we give for that's what God did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the passage your notes referred to earlier, we have this, this contrast between givers out of, who, uh, of compulsion and givers out of, of giving. And it begins with talking about the Macedonian church as a place that includes Philippi, Ephesus, some of those places. And it says, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity, for they, were, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. That's the kind of giving that lines us up with who we are in the image of God. Because God himself gave, and if you look at verse, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. What God did is give up himself. First, Christ gave up all of the riches of heaven, gave it all up, and then became even poor here on earth so that we might have a reverse track that we could enjoy life now and experience the riches of heaven. This is a self-giving God in whose image we're created, and when we give ourselves as we give those gifts, we experience joy that is simply inexplicable because usually happiness is in receiving. But when you give from your heart, you experience joy that can only be explained by one thing. We really were created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, giving produces more joy than even getting. When we clamor to get instead of to give, then we have abandoned the humanizing image of God. When holiday time is all about what am I going to get and how do I get my shopping list? You know, nowadays with the, with, on Amazon, we have these wish lists. We can even control what other people give to us. And, and if you go on my Amazon wish list, Fruitcake is not on there, just so you know. We can even control it because we think, ah, oh, this is going to be great, getting this, getting that, and of course, you know, we set ourselves up for disappointment. And when we clamor to get, we might get a momentary thrill, all the opening of the gifts, all that, but joy that lasts comes when I become a giver because that is who I am in the image of God. Clamoring to get than to give seems to be what the season celebrates. And we even teach our children, 
It's all about the gifts you're going to get. But we observe with our own eyes, it's so short-lived. It doesn't produce something lasting. Why don't we, and why didn't I, teach our children to give? Because there'd be more joy in that. We don't even maybe know how to do that. But why don't we? It's because at the core of our lives, there's a problem. And the problem is this. Not only have we unaligned, have we departed from the image of God and being a giver, and we've chosen to become a getter, a receiver, a taker, but we have also abandoned the natural sense that the, that the one who's in the image of God would obey the word of God. And when the first time we said no to God, the first time we said, I can do it my way, the first time we said, my way is better for me, we invited sin to come in, and it has a corrosive effect on our spirit. It ruins something that might have been. And so restoring the image of God is simply this, trusting the sufficiency of Christ and abandoning the hope of minor self-improvement. Now, why do I say that? Because most of us say, ah, I can, I can become a giver. I can just make some adjustments in my life. But what we run across is when there's sin in our life, there's a, an attention, and a bent toward ourselves, a bent toward me that causes us to be a natural taker. And in order to become a natural giver, we need to stop saying, well, I just need to make a few minor improvements. That's my only problem, just a few minor improvements. Adjustment there, and adjustment there. And it doesn't work. We adjust and we find ourselves being more and more inward focused. Even in our adjustments, we're focusing on us. Christ came, born in the major, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven to send the Holy Spirit, he came so that there might not just be a minor improvement, but a total transformation on the inside that begins with forgiveness, but doesn't stop there. It changes us. And Christ came when he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, rose from the dead to give us the power to change, to be different. This wasn't a self-improvement program. This was an abandonment of self-improvement and saying, Lord, I'm just giving myself. You change me. And the image of God that makes us givers instead of takers is restored when I just follow these simple ABCs. First of all, I ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness, which I must first confess. Not a single one of us are unaware of the sin that time we said no to God, knowing that what we're about to do was against God's will. We knew that. And we need to now confess it and then take full ownership of it and ask to be forgiven. Secondly, we need to believe. Believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient payment for that sin. Because, see, the nature of sin is that it kills, it corrodes, it destroys. Well, somebody had to die for that sin. And when I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was on my behalf to die for my sin, that's believing, and the re that the resurrection is essential for my transformation. When I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection are essential, 
not just this religion, religious additive, not just this religious mode of self-improvement, but it is the essence of who I am, essential for my life, when I believe that, that I can't live without what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection, that is when the change happens. And the C is simply confess that Jesus is now Lord, that means he's the owner, and he's the leader. And when we allow Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of our life, something dramatic changes from the inside out that begins with the change in my desires, a change then in my habits and my doing, and a change in the expression of my life. And there is a radical change that restores the image of God and aligns me, aligns me with who I'm to be as a person who's a citizen of heaven. It changes the direction of my life. And you'll notice in this that giving becomes natural. It becomes a bent, not just an event that we have at holiday time. You know what a bent is? It has to do with agriculture. There's a, a tree that grows up and, and the twigs grow up and they bend toward the sun. It's called a bent. It bends toward the source of nourishment. It's a bent. And it's not just, you know, this event. It, it's, a, it's a way of orientation. In the same way, when Christ comes into my life, I am bent toward Christ and oriented toward him. So it even changes how I have received all of life and how I give myself. And when giving becomes a bent, Instead of just an event, then there's a continual source of joy. That's what Christ wants to do in our lives. That's what he's calling you to do. See, you can forever just have the fruitcake moment, or you can become the kind of person that Christ is calling you to be. And what a better time than at Christmas to become the person who says yes to Jesus. I'm tired of just making minor adjustments using the religious option to turn a few screws, I want that bent toward Christ. Would you like that? Stand with me as we pray. And thank you, Father, that the gift that you gave far exceeds the multitude of gifts that we might envision at this time of year. That the gift you gave is for me, for each one of us, Thank you, Lord, for the transformation that can take place. We need you, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do, and we love you. Now, Father, I pray we come to you, and not just hold back, but that we come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.